Welcome to Essential Coaching Conversations with Kyle and Asim. The real, relevant, necessary conversations to help you navigate coaching, teaching, learning, and life. Welcome back to episode 25 of Essential Coaching Conversations. Kyle, can you believe it? A quarter century worth of episodes, and people are still tuning in to listen to you and I drone on about things, all things under the sun related to coaching, teaching, learning, and life. And, you know, we just finished a four four part series on practice. It's probably, honestly, we could probably do a fifth part on, on practice. Because there's certain things we didn't talk about, but um, this is pretty cool, huh? Episode 25. It's like one of those like milestone numbers, I think. Episode 25, um, you know, carrying us into the new year, you know, um, and it's it's kind of crazy that we've talked about as much as we've talked about, but at the same time, we've also compacted everything we have talked about into just 25 episodes and trying to keep all, you know, really no more than an hour, I guess. And like you said, we've talked four episodes worth of, of practice. And, and again, we could, we could keep going, but I mean, to me, that's part of this, this journey. That's part of the fun. That's part of the growth. The evolution is that that conversation never really is done. I mean, at some point we've got to stop talking for the episode's sake. Um, but the conversation continues to live on and it just allows us to, to, to keep this going. And, um, again, thank you to everybody out there who's listening, uh, old and new. And uh, appreciate everybody who um, joined in on the Chuck's Challenge throughout the month of December. Um, still got a couple of, of folks sending some things in, and that's been really awesome to see. And we really appreciate all the support and, and everybody kind of sharing and jumping into that and the, the hashtag Chuck's for MDC and the Chuck's Challenge. And um, for a fourth annual, I thought it went really well. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll look forward to doing that again towards the end of of the next coming year in 2023. So again, thanks to everybody, 25 episodes in. I remember us, you know, sort of thinking about episode five being a milestone, episode 10 being a milestone, and here we are at 25. And so I'm, I'm hopeful, uh, very hopeful that the next 25 will, will be just as fruitful, uh, at least in terms of conversation for, for myself and, and for you. Um, and again, we, every week we seem to pick up somebody new and it reaches out to talk about something that they heard and made them stop and think and, um, from all, all four corners of the world and all different industries, you know, in and out of sport, um, regardless of levels. And again, I think when we, when we first started talking about doing this, our vision for it to tease things a little bit here was just simply to create conversations that would transcend basketball that would transcend coaching that would that really sort of hits all walks of life because at the end of the day we are all human beings and we are all dealing with the same same issues and um you know contextually they're all different as you've heard us say a thousand times before um but i think that as far as that vision goes we're you know we're hitting the the nail on the head there so again thank y'all for the first 25 and cheers to the next 25 yeah, and I think that's probably really one of the coolest things is like whenever we hear from people, a lot of times it is sort of our basketball-centric community, but then it, invariably there's going to be somebody who's in law enforcement or somebody who's an athletic trainer or just like random teachers out there that 
say like, man, this is so applicable to what I do in the classroom or like how I have to deal with my administration or whatever it is. And I just think like, you know, to echo your point, but not to belabor it, like the carryover and sort of the parallels from one walk of life to the other are just fascinating to me. Mm. And, you know, I think as we go, there's a lot that can be explored even in that realm of like just sort of the intersectionality between different, you know, not just professions, but like different areas of focus. And like, yes, it's a job, but like, what are the core functions of every job? And like, where are those intersections? Because I think like the more we can find those commonalities, the more these types of conversations, like the ones we're going to have today about vision attainability, that becomes so much more salient. And it's not just a sports oriented podcast, right? We exist in the sports category on Apple podcasts, but like realistically, these are life conversations. And anybody who's ever had to lead, anybody who's ever had to follow, anybody who's ever had to be a part of an organization, like they understand how important vision attainability is, but they may not have been able to articulate it that way. And so I'm hopeful that today we can do some justice to those conversations and ask some of those questions that really need to be asked about what it means to have an attainable vision, who it's attainable for, uh, hint, hint, it should be for everyone, um, and kind of how to get there. But Kyle, I want to throw it to you to sort of kick us off here and sort of contextualize this conversation a little bit through the lens of climate. And we're not talking about climate in terms of big weather events and things like that. We're talking about climate versus culture and how climate being in the now obviously makes a big difference as opposed to the historical piece of culture. And, you know, we can even sort of go down that road a little bit with the buzzword of culture and how that sort of is muddying the waters as it comes to that vision attainability. But I'm going to throw it to you, take it away with climate versus culture and sort of contextualizing the vision attainability conversation to start. Yeah, if you're not familiar with the climate versus culture conversation that we have, maybe this is a good opportunity to link. Um, I think we have a blog or two and um, some, you know, Twitter threads that sort of go down this road um, where we're not, you know, that that culture buzzword sort of been adulterated. And we've talked about this before. Again, if you're familiar with anything that we've talked about in the past, but um, the climate being more about, as you said, in the now, um, you know, it's, it's, it's more about what we can do today to affect our climate, where culture is more big picture, it's more overarching, it's more long term. And that doesn't mean that it's not important. But you know, we've, we've, you take over a job tomorrow, you're going to have juniors and seniors that don't have the luxury of waiting for your quote unquote culture to take root. Like you need to be able to go in there now and take care of some things. And, and, um, and really that's what ties this attainability conversation too, is that, um, well, first off, I think that again, a couple of disclaimers, first off, you have to have a vision <laughs> to begin with. It's got to be well thought out. It's got to be clearly defined and it has to be articulated. So there, we're, we're, we're walking into this particular conversation with some understanding that a lot of that work, that foundational stuff has already been done. And then what we get to is once all of that's done, we've noticed throughout our, our years of sort of EC research is that there are these six vision roadblocks and we've, we've talked about a few of these in the past, and we've got a couple more to go. So the last roadblock I believe we talked about 
was the stability of that vision. So not only does it have to be defined and, and sort of articulated, but we got to make sure that we're pretty firmly founded and grounded in what that vision is. And we're not constantly moving the goalposts for certain people. And so once we do that, then again, we get to this conversation of what is sort of the next level here. And it's making sure that it's attainable for everyone. So again, everybody's context is going to be slightly different, whether you're in sport, out of sport, or maybe you're all basketball coaches, but you've got college to high school to, to youth. Um, and even within the same school, there's going to be different contexts on different athletic clubs and different classrooms and, and, and the like. So everybody's context is going to be a little bit different. We're understanding that. But we want to come at this more from uh, the now, not the, not the vision of like your overarching, hey, I want to make better you know, human beings for the future. Again, the, the, the same thing that you and I have said to get jobs is, you know, we're, we're culture guys. We have this vision that we want to create better husbands, wives, fathers, you know, mothers and better citizens, you know, for the future. And we won't know if we're successful until 20 years down the road. Sounds great. <laughs> you know, it gets you the job. But the problem is, is we don't know if we're going to be successful then for 20 more years. And so we don't have a way to assess that. And we don't, we don't have a way to understand if what we're doing right now is beneficial. As, and as you've mentioned in the, the pre-show sort of talk here is that is our vision flawed in any kind of way? And how do we know, how can we make corrections and make pivots and sort of adapt on the fly if we don't have a more um, sort of be where your feet are centric view of what our vision is. And so um, kind of a long-winded roundabout way to say, when we're talking about vision, we want you to kind of get out of your head that this is though, these are those like your, your big mission statement, your pillars and all that. It's what is happening right now in the room, in practice, in film, in a team meeting, a conversation that you're having, those sort of mini visions, um, how attainable are those going to be, not just for yourself or your staff, your, your, for your players. And then, as you mentioned earlier, equitably, not just for your best player, but can your worst player, you know, if you've got 75 kids on a football team, chances are your best player, they're pretty successful. They're your best player based on talent. And in a lot of cases, talent alone. So they're roundabout way. They're achieving a lot of that vision, but how does the kid who never plays, how do they attain that vision? And then do they even have the access to attain that vision? And, and I think that's where this conversation becomes extremely deep and extremely powerful. Yeah. And, and thank you for doing that because I think that, you know, coaches, if they, if you're not really like in tune with what we're talking about, as far as vision for this particular podcast goes, it can be really, really daunting to be like, well, I don't know if they're going to be good people. Cause I don't, I'm thinking like they're going to be good people 20 years from now. But I think that also then sort of gives ourselves as coaches a little bit too much credit for having that much of an impact on that one kid for 20 years. Right. I'm not saying it doesn't happen because I think it does happen a lot, but I but think it, we can it, have it's sorry. It does, but it's also a little bit of a, I hate to like, people aren't going to want to hear this, but it's kind of a cop-out too. Oh no, it's sure. It's a hundred percent a cop-out because we don't have to be held accountable for that kid for 20 more years. So we can just right. say we did our job and we don't have to actually live with those consequences. Sorry to cut you off. 
No, no, but that that's the eventuality where I was going to go in a very long-winded way. So I'm glad you you got in there and said that because that's always what happens, right? I think that's where we are is like in the immediate, what are the what is the vision I have for today? You know, for the mm. for just this season. And can we get everybody to attain that? Um, and I think that has to do a lot with growth, right? I think that has to do a lot with the equity conversation that's gonna that you're gonna hear that word a lot today because this is an equity conversation. How do we make things accessible and how do we make that vision attainable for literally everyone in the program? It doesn't mean everyone's going to achieve at the same level. It means we start everybody at the same level and we are giving access to the information, to the tools that are necessary for that vision to become attainable and eventually for people to be able to go and do it themselves. And that's where you get to what I think is one of your pieces of expertise is that player-led program or that constituent-led program where they don't have to rely on you after a while because they're able to do it themselves because of the tools, because of the access, the education, all the things that they've been given through the course of helping to attain that vision. I think there's also something to be said, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but like co-creation of that vision, right? Especially when it comes to parents. So if you have a high school, if you're like a high school coach or a middle school coach, you might have the vision of what you want this to look like. But like at the end of the day, you're not parenting somebody else's kid, you're coaching them. And so being able to co-create that vision with those parents and with those stakeholders is kind of it's like a huge deal. And that's where a lot of this issue comes from with parents, because they don't feel like the vision is attainable for them. And maybe that's a separate conversation and we can solely talk about players in this one, but I think all of that is linked. And that's even true at the college level. I mean, like nowadays, you can't, it's impossible to run a sport program at a scholastic institution, whether that's middle school, high school, elementary school, college, doesn't matter, without parental involvement. And so having it be possible for parents to attain whatever vision you have for them as well. And that's not to say like, they just never need to talk to me ever. And that's like my vision for parents. That's not possible, right? It's not going to happen. So being able to kind of get all of those pieces on the same page and make it attainable, make it equitable for everyone. I mean, that's, that is the whole point today. Um, you know, I'm reminded when we talk about this, about the last um, principle that I had when I was a head coach at my last stop before coming, becoming a college coach, uh, or going back to the college level. And I remember him talking about my evaluation and this sort of like, it was probably one of the best evaluative conversations I ever had. And it was when he was actually hiring me and he sat me down and he said, listen, man, I don't really care about like the teacher evaluation thing. We do it here because we're mandated by the county to do it. But what I tell my teachers is the same thing I tell my coaches. You tell me what you want your program to look and feel like at the end of the season. And I will come and check on you throughout the season to see if you're on track to that. And if at the end of the season, you do what you said you were going to do and that your vision was attainable by everybody, we'll be in a good place. And you can stay here as long as you want to. And I just thought that was really, really powerful. And that that person's name was Gary Morris. He's no longer a high school principal, so I feel like I can stay, say his name. Uh, he's now a middle school principal um, in Virginia still. But I remember that conversation and that sort of like 
inceptioned its way into my mind when we were talking about these things from the get-go with our research that we were doing, like he was spot on in that, in understanding, like, listen, we all want to win games here. We're all really competitive here, but like you interviewed and campaigned to get this job on this platform. If you do what you said you were going to do. So that's the congruence part. And in your program, the things you want to do are attainable by everybody, even though they all might be at different levels. Like everybody should be able to experience success towards your vision that you have for this program. Then you're fine because you did exactly what you said you were going to do. It's when you stray from the path of the things that you said were important, or you only said those things were important to get the job. Like now I'm putting you on notice that if that's what you're doing, then you're not going to be here very long. Right. And I think that that was just like a really cool encapsulation and sort of an example of how it can go really right, because we might be just be talking about like coaches in general right now, but administrators have that responsibility too, right? Administrators have the responsibility to cast the vision for their entire department. And then they have to be worried about whether this vision they have is attainable for their coaches. And so in doing what Gary did, his ability to cast his own vision to say like, I want to, my vision is to support yours because yours aligns with what I'm about. And if we can do that, then you can stay here as long as you want, because this is exactly why I hired you in the first place. I just thought there's a really cool encapsulation and sort of like speaks to what we're talking about today. Yeah, I, I love that. There's, it's a shame that there's not one of those guys in every school, um, you know, that, in every administration and that that's not the norm. I don't, I think if you were to ask, you know, if we could be candid and ask a lot of the coaches that are listening to this, or teachers that are listening to this, do you have that person in your school right now? I would guess a lot of them would say no. I'm hopeful that there are some out there, but, um, you know, you're talking about with parents, like you, you can't exist without them. A lot of times administrators are making decisions based on public pressures from parents. So even if they're not like directly involved, they're indirectly involved because their money or their influence or whatever is forcing administrators to make ideas. And so there is no alignment or attainability or congruence in that vision because it, it, there, there's a number of different competing visions and sort of the loudest voice or the last voice or the voice with the most money is going to end up winning out with that. And you and I have both been victim to that um, in, in, in the high school ranks um, where somebody else's competing vision <laughs> that was apparent, uh, you know, their vision won out on ours and our administrators. And, and that's happening every day all over the place. And so it, it can't be attainable for everybody. First off, if it's not, um, if it's not created and articulated in a way that we can all understand it. And you mentioned the word co-creation and I, I wrote a note down here um, that if, if I have some say-so in it, then not only am I going to be more engaged and motivated to achieving it, I'm probably going to be more likely to achieve it because I'm not going to create something that's beyond my abilities. So if I get a little bit of say-so in there, not even if it is a little beyond my reach, I'm going to be more engaged and motivated to get there anyway because I got a say-so in it. So if we're getting going from that buy-in, investment, <clears throat> ownership, good, better, best that we've talked about a number of times. But if I get to co-create that vision and help craft what it is, and I, I then know like, okay, it's possible for me to get there. I might not be there today, but there's a pathway 
and there's a plan and there's access to achieve that vision because I got to say so in, in, in creating some of that. And that's, it's not just, Hey, we're just going to let the players in to give them a voice because we think that we're supposed to, because that's the in vogue, you know, the right thing to say. And, you know, players are soft nowadays. And so we've got to tell them what they want to hear and yada, yada. Like, no, they're more likely to get there because they know what they're shooting for first off. And then they know that they actually have an opportunity to do it because we talked too about like belief, moving efficacy. If I don't think I can achieve something, I'm not going to try very hard at it, or I'm going to be much more likely and apt to quit it before, uh, you know, after trying just a couple of times, like I have to know that I, it's, it's potentially uh, an option for me to get where I need to go. And if I don't, then you're probably going to lose me. I'm going to transfer. I'm going to quit. I'm going to create problem. I'm going to do whatever, because I think that's just, sort of our human nature. Like we're acting in our own self-interest at that point. And nobody wants to fail. Nobody wants to look bad. Nobody wants to, you know, be a disappointment or put themselves out there where they don't think they're going to have an opportunity to be successful. But I'm much more likely to extend myself, to try, to fail, to get back up, to try, to fail again, if I know I'm well on my way to achieving that success. But if I feel like it's an exercise in futility, then no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that you know, more than a couple of times because then it's just egg on my face. You know, ignorance is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Well, I don't think I'm going to get a different result, then I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of stop short or I'm going to quit. And then everybody's seen those, you know, memes or whatever about, you know, the, the guy digging in the cave and he's so close to getting to the diamonds that he gives up. Well, if that person doesn't think that there are diamonds, you know, beyond that wall at some point, then that's when I'm going to quit. But if I know that there is something at the end for me, if I know that there are diamonds in that cave somewhere, if I know that that success is actually possible, I'm much more likely to keep going. And I think when coaches get on their soapboxes about our team doesn't have any grit, we lack toughness, we're soft, we don't have yada, yada. Well, what are, what are we giving them to believe in? How stable and how attainable is the vision that we're wanting them to go literally, you know, blood, sweat, and tears over. And then we just expect them to keep coming back. We've got to go back to the drawing board and ask ourselves, well, what are we selling them? And why are they, why, why do we think they're going to buy it from us? Well, and that takes us to that last episode that we did about vision roadblocks of the engaged investment piece, right? What is there to be engaged and invested in if I'm looking at it singularly for myself? And so we can talk about team sports here in a second, but like the team is made up of the individuals. And this is something you said in the pre-show, but like we don't have the team without the individuals. And so each individual then needs to know where they are on that pathway to the ultimate level of attainability they can get to in their current role. And I think that's something that is largely ignored by coaches because it's very, very easy to just say, hey, go play your role or, hey, your role is this. And then we never revisit it again. Mm. And so ultimately, yeah, it is incumbent on the player to continue to ask those questions. It is incumbent on the player to work as hard as they can. But what are they working towards? What is the overall vision for that individual player as part of the whole and it's not, hey, when you leave here, I want you to be a better human being. How about we just like, I want, to, I want you to be a better human being today. Now, but I also yeah. <laughs> want you to be able to like 
ice this ball screen properly and like show that four out of five times you can do that or however you choose to measure it. But you have to be able to measure that progress, right? It's very easy to make nebulous statements like everybody runs their own race or you'll get there when you get there. That's all true and it's all valid. But I think that sort of like goes along the lines too of like, you're sort of bullshitting the players by saying that and not having a real answer as to where they are in the attainability of whatever vision you've laid out to them. And I think that starts, so in the college ranks, like that starts in the recruiting process. But I even think in high school and in middle school, that starts when you're setting the vision as maybe the varsity head coach for the entire development program. Or every year coming in and understanding where players have been, where they're wanting to go, how much work they've put in, how much work have you put in as a coach to refine your vision, and then being able to resell that every single day and monitor progress towards those things. But it's going to be different for every kid. And so you think about like a collegiate freshman who comes in, and I'll just use that as an example, because like, it's something that is always in the media, right? Like these freshman this and this freshman phenom and this, that, and the other. Well, not every first year player is a top 10 player in the country or is going to play 30 minutes a game, right? That's just not going to happen. And I think football is a great example of this, right? You've got physically mature men at the age of 21, 22, as opposed to like an 18-year-old first-year quarterback who doesn't know anything about anything and the speed of the game is so fast. What is the communication with that player of where they are and how they fit into the vision? And is their current role helping them in attaining the ultimate vision? And what is the vision for their current role in order to keep them engaged and motivated and willing to perform in whatever role that is? Well, if I'm, if I'm more, if I know that achievement is possible, like you said, even if I'm on my way there and you said, you've used a phrase earlier that I wrote down stages of attainability. So where am I on this pathway to growth and to success? If I know that that's possible and I keep going back to that little image of like the guy in the cave, you know, hacking away, trying to get to the diamonds. If I know that it's possible, then I'll stay more engaged and I'll stay motivated. And, and, and it seems like every time we have a conversation about athletes, we somehow come back to the transfer portal because it's so prevalent. And so it's like, okay, in that recruiting process, I've told you, this is how you will achieve and attain this vision. This is your access. And then we get there and we don't keep reselling it. We don't keep recruiting everyone every day. And all of a sudden, that success and that vision starts to look really dim, really far off, or it's something totally different. I'm looking in a completely opposite direction now. And all of a sudden, I'm starting looking around going, what the heck? This is not what I was told. And so now all of a sudden, yes, the grass does look greener over there because that vision sounds a lot like what I was told in the first place. And so now I'm more likely to go over here and try to achieve it. And so, and now that that you that players just simply have the option to move about, they're going to go where they feel like they're going to create or, or achieve and gain more of that, that vision and that success in the first place, which is why I think it is incumbent on us as the adults in the room to continually recruit everyone every day, to continually, you know, resell and redefine and remap and, and continually talk about the vision, not just. The, again, not just the overarching vision of like, we want to create competitive, great people. Okay, well, what does that mean for me? And what did that mean for me as an 18-year-old freshman? And what does that mean for me today as a 
as a 23-year-old COVID year senior, potentially. Um, and, and again, those contexts are going to be different for everybody. But even if you're, let's say you're one of these like competitive cauldron folks, right? Like, all right, good, better, best. We're going to compete every day in practice. You earn your playing time in practice. We did a, a chat on that not too long ago on Monday nights. You can say, okay, you're going to earn your playing time in practice and we're going to compete and whoever wins, you know, gets to start or whatever that, whatever that, you know, reward might be. But you're also working under the assumption that that assessment that you've created is valid, reliable, and realistic for everybody there. So if we're going to say, okay, we're going to do 10 competitions and whoever wins the most competitions is going to start. Well, if all of those competitions are skewed to one particular skill set that half of my team doesn't have, then they're never going to have the opportunity to compete, to win, to do this and that. And, and as you said, like they're going to pick up on the BS, like our players' bullshit meters are incredible. And after a week of this, a, a month of this, or even a year or two of this in the program, they're going to start to figure out we're not really about what we're saying we are about. And they can say that you earn it in playing, you know, practice, or they can say that you have to do this or you have to do that. But when our actions don't back up the words that we've been preaching to them since they got here, then they're going to they're going to start tuning us out. And so if you've got a player out there, I think, or again, a student, whoever, that you're having a hard time reaching. That just doesn't seem like they want to listen or they're becoming problems or whatever. To me, it helps to view this as in, okay, what does this player think their vision is and how close do they are at achieving it? Are they on the right path? Are they moving down the road? Are they even on the correct road? You know, are, there, are they in the middle of dead still traffic? Is there a wreck ahead? Have they had to get off and detour? And if you start to view, the, view it through that player's eyes of how close are they to achieving what they wanted to achieve? then we're more likely to figure out what their motivations are and how we can reach them where they are. And again, yes, like I get it. The program's more important than the team and the team's more important than the player. And again, yada, yada, like all things that we say to get jobs. But as you said earlier, there is no team without individuals. There is no organization without employees. There is no program without the team. And so if we're not viewing it on that sort of micro of a level, then we can't sort of see the forest for the trees then because we can't get to the bigger picture. If we're not handling the everyday, the now, the climate, if we're not handling the entropy of today, then we're never going to get to the big 30,000 foot view and the 20 years down the road because we're losing those kids right now. As you said, like, I don't want to need to wait for 20 years to know if you're a good person. Like, I need you to be a good person right now. Here's what we define that as. Boom. Can you do this or can you not? And if we're having a difficult time assessing that, then again, I think it's it's where we step back and we say, okay, I'm having a hard time reaching you. What is the issue? And likely it's going to be, well, I'm not where I need to be. And most of the time that's probably centered around playing time. And I think that's where a lot of coaches would be like, well, screw it. I, I, I say who plays, you know, you play because I say so or whatever. But again, that's, yeah, you might be able to get through with that to a couple of players, but players need to know. They need to know why. They need to know what's going on. They need to understand. And I don't think that that's too much to ask either because I need to know the why. I need, I mean, mm -hmm. in work, I need to know why. At the house, I need to know the why. 
And I, I think sometimes that's sort of cast off and scapegoated as in like, well, I'll just do what I told you to. When in reality, we're human beings too. And we would like to know, we would like to know, you know, have that same kind of grace. And I think that's another instance of us as the adult we're telling on ourselves. Yeah. And I think, you know, to, to give coaches some credit, like I think coaches have largely accepted that explaining why matters. Um, but I think the evolution to that is explaining when, and that's both contextually in, you know, when to use a particular skill, when to make a particular decision, whatever it is, but like, also, when am I going to be able to attain what you set out for me to attain? What do I need to do in order to make that happen? And so I think like a couple of the questions that came to mind as you were talking is, you know, when we're talking about like building the leaders of tomorrow, like, do we have an awareness of how that's working and in what capacity is that working? When do players feel empowered to be the leaders of today? Because you might have your team leaders or your team captains or people who are constantly making decisions for for the team in the team's best interest. But like, what about the 13th to 15th kid that never gets to do, do that, right? They're not getting any reps in doing what you've set out as the vision for your whole program. And so in that way, I would say that that right now is not attainable because the players don't have access to making any sort of decisions that benefit the team or that are there for the team, but everything is being put in context of the team. So how are we helping to guide the decision-making or influence the decision-making or give them even any sort of agency over their own decision-making within the context of our sport program when they're not part of the leadership council or the captains or the leadership group or any number of these things that coaches have in place to quote-unquote develop leadership on their team. Right. I think that's a huge piece of that. Like, I don't think everyone accesses leadership on a daily basis within every sport program. I think that's possible, number one. But if we're going to say, like, we're going to create leaders on and off the court, Gary Morris would say, all right, show me how you did that. Right. I don't think that's attainable for everyone. Now, I think you can put out certain roles. I think you can delineate certain things. I think you can open up opportunities like we have a resource that we use, sort of that 50-50 chart. Like, what can we give to the players and say, hey, go run with this, right? Make, make a decision. We want you to make the next best decision on and off the court. Here's a way that you can do that, right? If we're talking about my vision as a coach, that's what I want. I want to empower players to make the next best decision on and off the court. That's it. It's very simple. So in so doing, hey, here's this, go make a decision about it. Let me know what you think. If you want to talk about it, let's talk about it, right? Simple, simple stuff. But then like even on the court, hey, here's your decision tree. You have A, B, A, B, C, A, B, C, D, right? You have all kinds of different things that you could do. We're going to help you make those decisions and, and that will then transfer to the rest of your life, right? I think too, like how accessible are you if players want to grow their capacity for attainability of the vision, right? A lot of times, and this is sort of that freshman conversation again, a lot of times we're so busy catering programs to the upper class and we forget that we just recruited these first years to come here, right? Or you have freshmen in the program. Let's say you're a high school coach and you have freshman sports, 
I know some places have cut freshman sports, which is kind of a travesty because obviously we want as many opportunities for kids to play as possible, but maybe a kid played on the freshman team and they somehow, some way you begrudgingly put them on your varsity as a junior, but you hold them in the same esteem as when they played for the freshman team and you look down on that, right? How accessible are you to help that player navigate attaining the vision you have for them? Do they even know what the vision is that you have for them? Or is it the same as everybody else and you just sort of allow them to exist? And I think the other thing that's sort of equally important, and I wrote this down as you were talking, what about the reverse, right? What about the player's vision, whether that's aligned with the vision that you have for the program? And how much access do you need from the player in order to develop the trust to take them to the vision they have, right? Not every player wants to play in college if they're in high school. Some of them just play for fun. Some of them play because they love their teammates. I had a lot of those players in the, in the places that I coached. Kids who would never, ever set foot on a college court, but they were great high school players. They were great high school teammates. They were phenomenal people. And I would ask them every year, are you sure you want to do this knowing that there's that basketball ends after your senior year? Yes, coach. I'm all in. I love my teammates. I want to be a part of it. This is the best part of my, my school experience. Great. What, what, what's your vision for this year? What do you want to do? What do you want to get out of it? What do you want your experience to be? Right. And those are the questions that we would ask. So we knew that we could align what we were doing to what our players wanted all while keeping the vision of helping them make the next best decision. And it started with making the next best decision of whether they wanted to play basketball or not, right? Because it's a huge commitment. But if we're asking for that sacrifice as coaches, we better make our vision attainable for every single person that we're asking to sacrifice. Otherwise, that sacrifice goes unrewarded. And there's, that's martyrdom, right? That's not real sacrifice. That's martyrdom. And we're not going to do that to kids, especially. Um, you know, and then the third question that comes to mind, I have, I have a couple more, but the third question that comes to mind, and I'm curious, you know, from, from your end, like any of the answers to these questions, coaches, as you're listening, answering these questions, you know, in writing, answering them in your head, answer them. And if you can't shoot us a DM and let's talk through it. But the last one I have is, have you defined success for every person and their role on the team and the team itself? Because I think we talk a lot about team success. And like you said, it's all about the team. It's all about the team. It's all about the team. But if I am even like the ninth kid on the team and we play an eight to 10, 10 man rotation or 10 person rotation, I'm towards the end of that rotation. I'm not playing as much as I want to. Or maybe if we have a, a practice team in practice, I'm not getting the reps I want. Because it's always the starting five. Maybe I haven't had a single decision to make because everybody makes them for me. And my voice isn't really being heard. Any number of those things is possible. I'm not saying they happen all the time, but any number of those things is possible. Have we as the coaches sat down with every single player, not just at the beginning of the season, mid-season, and then at the end, or just the beginning and the end, but repeatedly? Have we sat down with them and defined success even in that week? Hey, 
last week, you were really, really good at this. We're hoping, or we, we want to see you be really, really good at that again. And let's see if we can get better at X, right? And then what are you doing to make sure, and this sort of goes back to our practice conversation, that they're getting those worthwhile reps in attaining your vision, right? If I envision that Kyle's going to be a really, really good catch and shoot shooter from the three point or um, from the corner, and yet he gets like four reps at that all week in practice, have I set you up to attain the vision that I have for you? Absolutely not. Yet I'm going to be also equally upset that you're not a great catch and shoot shooter from the from the corner. I'm going to tell you to get in the gym and get reps on your own, right? Both of those things cannot be true. Yeah, and as you're talking, a couple of examples popped up in my head because um, I go back to when my first couple of years as a head coach, I had a kid that was kind of similar to that, like pretty good little catch and shoot type of, you know, four man type, right? Like wasn't real quick, but wasn't real big, like kind of had their niche role where they could kind of basically kind of like a pick and pop type of person. And we had run some sets. We did a lot of like wing ball screen. I'm getting kind of basketball centric here, but if you'll bear with me, some kind of like pistol action and some, you know, wing pick on ball, pick and pop. And like, he had been pretty successful at it. And so it was like, oh, okay, he's, he's achieving, like he's progressing, he's being productive and yada, yada. And then, um, and my, my geniusness of evolving as a coach and I found a better offense that I thought would be fantastic for us and I wanted to change everything that we were doing and it, it didn't fit like his style and his skill set and all of a sudden like his achievement was virtually non-existent right like just not in a position to be successful and make those types of plays and it was me sort of outfoxing myself and ultimately like we as a team were not better either but I, I just think about like that one particular example um, cause I remember having conversations with him and then ultimately conversations with his, his parents and then his grandmother as well, uh, who didn't never had a, an issue, um, you know, relaying her opinion to, <laughs> to what she thought about some things. Um, but I remember thinking like, oh, well, he's just going to have to suck it up and kind of get on with it. And I remember thinking like, no, like I had specific conversations with this kid about, Hey, you're good at this. Let's work on this and let's get you successful here because this is how you're going to contribute. And then all of a sudden the vision stability part on my end had flipped because I had moved those goalposts. And so all of a sudden that attainability for this particular kid, the, the access and the achievement part was completely gone. And on top of that, like we had, we had just done a couple other like little things as far as like who was taking the ball out and based on who took the ball out, that, that meant that certain kids were going to be in different parts of the floor at different times. And so it was like, we had sort of figured out and aligned these visions. And then by me making a couple of these tactical changes, it had completely changed the way we were operating. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have made those tactical changes, but what should have been done if those decisions were going to be made is we should have gone back to the drawing board and talked about what that attainability was going to look like for all those players again. And that's where ultimately I think I fell short as the head coach and as the leader in the room was, I had done the work once to kind of lay all that groundwork. But then once we had changed and made those decisions and, and made those changes, it was ultimately going to affect everybody. And I didn't go back and, and do that groundwork again. And so I, you know, you hear me talk each, each episode in some facet about the entropy and the unfinished business of the day. Well, that was the unfinished business of the day right there. I had just assumed that because we had done this once that it was going to work again. And I was hoping 
you know, that it was going to work again. And every time that we sort of zig, we need to zag or whatever, we've got to keep going back and recruiting everyone every day. And, uh, and that's, that was, I, I still remember those conversations um, with this, like I said, with this player parent and, and the grandmother um, who again had no issue kind of letting me know what she thought about things. But at the end of the day, like she also wasn't wrong. You know, they were looking at it through the lens and the context of their particular kid. And we as head coaches have 12 kids, 15 kids, 85 kids that we have to worry about. And that's where the team is more important than the player. But again, if we don't have those 15 individual players, we don't have a team. And if we're not constantly trying to figure out what each of those 15 individuals need, then we're ultimately setting that team that we sort of revere. We're setting that team up for failure more often than we are success. Yeah, I mean, that that story is so reminiscent of one of the, like I used to give a talk to aspiring teachers. So it was like people who were career switchers. I was involved in teaching a class and doing some grading. And then I would do like a capstone thing with them where I would give a presentation. And one of the things I did was I put up a screenshot of like with names redacted, of course, of an email that I had gotten from a parent of a kid that I was teaching. And this kid was an athlete. And this whole thing was generationally like everything was centered around that kid and his identity, right? So his identity as a baseball player, his identity as a student. And it was like, they mentioned his name. I want to say like eight times in an eight line email, right? So once every line, and it was like, this is how important this person is to this other, like this, to this parent. So if we are going to sit here and say like, the team, the team, the team, the team, our vision has to be attainable as a collective. And then we forget about the fact that like Kyle has his own personality, his own, his own wants, his own needs, his own way of learning, all of these things. Like we're going to sell all of our kids short. And so the ones who end up attaining the vision are the ones who are either A, compliant, B, hyper-talented, or C, all of the above, right? Or they're the ones that, no matter what you threw at them, they would be they would be able to do it, right? And I think that comes from a you know a level of talent and then a level of resilience. And we tend to forget that there's all these other kids, and so like these middling sort of like sort of the middle management of the team, if you will, they sort of get stuck in that role forever, right? And I don't think that that's necessarily the rule, but I don't think that's the exception. I think it happens more often than not. And so what you see is higher levels of burnout in those kids than you do from even end of the bench kids, because a lot of the end of the bench kids might be kids who are just there to be there. They're just like happy to be there, yeah. right? They're having they a know great their experience. Role. They know their role. They're okay with it. It sort of is what it is. But those middle kids are the ones, and, and like this is where you sort of have to be able to recruit those kids every day and give them ideas that the diamonds are coming and that you can increase your role right and it's not just about hey how talented is this player that's in front of you what are you going to do to beat this player today it's how do we maximize who you are and maybe the vision is going to be the same overarching for the whole team from that thirty thousand foot view that you talked about but for you this year this month this week the vision is positive self-talk. And I'm going to check in with you every day and we're going to assess your positive self-talk. And if we can move you 1% closer 
to having more consistent, real, good, positive self-talk, then we're going to be in a good sh- in good shape because that's going to free you up to be engaged and motivated. Right. And what does that require then for all of our players? What does that require us to do as coaches? Like I'm asking, what does that require us to have with them? We've got to be able to have a relationship with them. I mean, the human component continually comes back every time we have one of these conversations that we've got to be able to recruit them. We've got to have respect, trust. We've got to have authentic connections. We've got to be able to be honest and not just like honest in coach speak terms where like I get to be brutally honest with you and tell you things you don't want to hear, you know, in the name of being honest, where I get to be cruel. Right. But actual honesty where like even if I like if the team is so important right like how many how often are we as coaches the most detrimental person in the room mm-hmm. or the most detrimental person on the sideline on the bench in the locker room in that meeting to where the team is more important than all the individual and collective players but yet it's not more important than us as individuals because we're the adult we're the coach and so if the team truly mattered more than anything, like how many of us would sacrifice ourselves for the betterment of the team? Mm-hmm. And I, I say that not being dramatic, but I even ask that like in terms of like our families, like how many, how many teams in the country right now are breaking out one, two, three family. Mm-hmm. And then we, we put so much stock in like our team being a family, but we don't put any stock into our family being a family. Mm-hmm. You know, we treat our team as a family and we treat our family as secondary family. and we are not ultimately living up to the same vision that we are preaching to our players. And if we can't take a step back and say, Hey, if the team really is the most important thing, then we as adults also have to have checks and balances and be able to hold ourselves accountable or have other people hold us accountable. So we can get out of the way to allow our players to achieve their visions and, and re and, and and have that same equitable attainability that we're talking about. Because I think a lot of times we get in, we ultimately get in the way um, for a lot of those things. And uh, if, if we don't have the strong enough inner voice to be able to recognize that, to have the awareness, to go through those reflective processes, to be able to recognize when we need to check some of that, then that's where I feel like a lot of times we sort of spiral out of control. And then we just start our own insecurities start to creep back up and we start to take all of that out on onto our kids and to our, our, our students and our players. And we, we might've started with this sort of open mind at the beginning of the season. And we said all the right things when there was no real adversity and we hadn't lost four games in a row. And my job wasn't on the line at the moment. And, you know, we, we weren't dealing with injuries and all this and that, but now things are starting to get a little bit tougher and a little bit thicker. And I'm starting to get a little bit more nervous and, I may be worried about the hot seat and these parents are mad at me over here and my administrators pissed at me for this. When all that stuff starts to feel like we're being cornered, can we continually be that person? So then mm-hmm. our character is now being, you know, tested on the daily. Um, and, and I don't feel like we're going to be able to sort of bo- get out of that. We're boxing ourselves in. We're not going to be able to get out of that by ourselves. We've got, that's where we as a team have to sort of pull each other up and out of that. and. That includes not just our best player or our starting five. That's where that number nine, that number 11, that number 12, that number 89 really comes into play. And they have an opportunity to be sort of the MVP in the room because they then can lead from the back, as it mm-hmm. were. 
Yeah, they can push us forward, right? You can't push from in front. That's impossible to do, right? You can't push from in front of something. You can only push from behind. And so I think like, you know, it leads me down this pathway. And I know we've been going for about about 50 minutes. Um, but this brings up to me as far as like, you know, we've sort of been talking about maybe the the personal vision or like the human part of the vision. But I even think about this in terms of just like, the phases of the game, like how you want to play. Um, and this goes with every sport, right? And this is something I used to tell my teams all the time. And this was sort of like embedding the diamonds in the path to get to the big diamond for the, for the kids who didn't play a lot. Like our starting five and the other team's starting five are probably somewhat equal. It's going to be our six through 10 who win us games consistently. And it's not going to be that our six through 10 go out there and they're going to be like, you know, world beaters, but there's going to be less and less of a drop off from our one through five as the season goes on, because you're going to get better. And the kids like to their credit, they really took ownership of that and they would want to get better. But we also had a very equitable way of practicing where we had that competitive congruence that you talked about earlier. Right. So once we put that into place, they knew that their effort and practice would be rewarded and they were getting closer and closer to attaining the vision because it was very clear what we were trying to do on the court. And so I think about phases of the game and like even within, say, like on defense, right, is, or offense or transition to offense, transition to defense, whatever it is, like is your vision of how you want to play in all phases of the game attainable by all of your athletes? And it doesn't mean they're all going to have equal skill levels. It means they're going to have an equal understanding and capability of doing what you're asking them to do. And so I think about like everything that's sort of in vogue and I'll use basketball. I wouldn't even use football as an example or like any invasion sport, right? Of playing fast and we want to have a lot of possessions and we want to do all of these things. Well, like if you don't have the roster to be able to do that, and you're not teaching it in a, in a way that players feel like it's attainable at their current skill level. And we're not developing players to be able to do that. Is your vision of playing that high possession, high pace, you know, every college coach when they come in and their introductory press conference, I think Jordan Sperber uh, put this out about talking about like he, he did the super cut of all these men's college basketball coaches talking about like playing with pace and space but like rarely do any of them actually play with pace and space, right? So the vision was we're going to play with pace and space. We're going to recruit these players to do it. And now they just play the same boring brand of basketball as everybody else. What differentiates your vision? So then when like people hit the transfer portal, well, why? Because they're not, that's not attainable for them. They're not being coached the way you said you were going to coach them, right? So there's some of that vision stability. And then we'll talk about alignment next time, but the vision attainability just isn't there. They don't see the roadmap to be able to develop into what you said you wanted to do. And so I think that initial question about thinking of phases of the game, how you want to teach the game, the things you want to do, right? We talked about this kind of a lot in the practice episodes. Um, that's actually kind of funny, the practice episodes. We could like release them on their own, right? That's, hey, note for next time. Miniseries. Um, right. You know, do you know? What it is, like, these are the questions to ask yourself, but the questions that I'm asking now is like, do you know exactly what it takes 
to make that vision attainable? Do you know what it means to play your version of the perfect game or even the beautiful game that you want to play? Right. I think it's funny, like my wife knows nothing about basketball. All right. Nothing like she she was not an athlete. Like she was a cheerleader in high school, like did not like ball sports and her do not mix. Right. Like I we yeah, it's not pretty when like I'm like, hey, shoot this basketball. I'm like, no. <laughs> right. But here's what I will tell you. When she when we first started, when we were together and like I had my first head coaching job, my second one. Now I'm a college coach. She fully understands. And this is where I think like the clarity and the attainability has to be for everybody. And she is my litmus test for this. All right. I can turn on a game and if she watches it for like one minute, she's like, yeah, they don't play the way you would play. I'm not interested. She recognizes, and this is crazy. Like you can ask her, maybe we'll have our spouses on the pod one day and like we, they can have this conversation because I think that would actually be hilarious. But like when she watches my old teams play, she's like, they were playing a seam basketball. Now, she doesn't know the intricacies of like what that actually means, like especially things like getting your foot on the baseline defensively, like baseline corner checkpoints, X outs, all of that stuff. Like she couldn't give you the technical knowledge of this, but she was so attuned to exactly what it looked like when we were playing specifically on the offensive end, when the ball's humming around, we're taking really good shots, you know, generating advantages, big advantages. She could even point out small advantages and big advantages just from hearing us talk about it. And so then I was, I, I had a phone call with a coach this past summer who was sort of explaining what they do in practice, how they do things. And the, it was on speaker and she was sitting right next to me. And within like five minutes of that conversation, she looked at me and she was like, nope, not that. Nope. They don't get it. And I was like, Hey, that's pretty cool. Number one. <laughs> that somebody who knows nothing about this sport as a whole and, you know, has not gone to the depths of, you know, phases of the game and game models and essential elements and all of that stuff, right? All of those intricate details that you and I sort of have gone through like the PhD level courses in, right? Through these conversations, through writing, through research, all of that stuff. When it comes to the vision being attainable, I want in whatever program I'm a part of somebody who is a lay person who knows nothing about it to feel just as invested as the, the 15th kid on the bench, both of whom can have a conversation about exactly how we want to play. They both know what we're trying to do and they know the roadmap to get there. That's when you know the vision's attainable is when anybody who's a stakeholder in your program feels like they have a part of making the thing better and that there is a roadmap for them to get better. Like, and then they can assess it and communicate that. Like she might not say the word small advantage to big advantage, but she'd be like, that's a nine. That's a seven, right? She hasn't sat there and like calculated hundred point games. Cause I think it's like just way over her capacity to do it live. But I promise you, like if I sat there and broke it down for her, the next time she'd be like, oh, that's probably like a 35 point possession or something, right? She might make fun of it for, you know, for like a week. And then, but then she'd get into it. 
right? Because there is that attainability to exactly how we wanted to play. And so I say all that to say, like, it's not impossible to do, but it requires <laughs> having that relationship between what you say you wanted to do, articulating that very, very clearly, and then having an aligned roadmap to actually get there and being able to assess it over and over and over again and refining that over and over and over again through that rocket process, right? And then if you have to make adjustments, are those adjustments attainable too? I think sometimes we, we try to adjust the things in the middle of, in, of games and our kids have never done them before. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I think that comes down to the amount of trust that you have within the people, within the individuals on the team. Um, but I don't know, I, I wanted to share that about my wife because I think that's a really good illustration of what attainability looks like um, to take somebody who, do, who knows nothing about the game and having them understand exactly what it is you're trying to do and why it matters and why it works. Um, you know, I don't know. What do you think about well, that? I, I think, I think the, the point is poignant because, you know, I think we're all, we've all been guilty of this at some point is we think like, oh, our players aren't smart enough to figure this out, but we can't do this because our, our players won't be able to comprehend it or they, they, they don't process fast enough or, you know, this is too complicated for them or that's not their style or whatever. But yet we hear a lot of people will talk about, you know, some leadership quasi coach speak type thing about like, well, people who really understand things can talk about it so simplistically, right? Like we need to be able to dumb it down to where a fourth grader could understand it and yada, yada. Well, if, if you sit here and, and your wife who doesn't know anything about basketball can recognize what your brand of basketball looks like, then shouldn't every single player that ever plays for us, because they've got more basketball knowledge and understanding and want to and know how than your wife does, shouldn't that be attainable for every single one of them in that moment, like in any kind of moment that you're in the gym? So if it's, again, if it's a, if it's, if it's a problem with them not getting it, is it a problem with them not getting it? Or is it a problem with us not reaching them, us not teaching it a certain way? And if we're going to sit here and say things like, I keep going back to like this 1% better, you're going to have players who are getting 5% access to reach that 1% better. And ultimately they're getting their 1% better, but they're largely underachieving because they've got 5% access to the 1%. And then we've got certain players who are getting 0.1% access who don't even have the opportunity to get to that one but some of them will still overachieve and get to their 1% better. But yet we'll look at them and feel like they still can't do it. Or we'll look at them and say like, well, yeah, but they're not this other person. When in, when in reality, they're doing more with less. They are attaining more with less access. But we're so enamored by quote unquote natural talent we're so amazed by these other things that we are willing to almost sacrifice the kids who attain more with less as opposed to the kids who achieve more but have more opportunity to do so, who ultimately, I would argue, underachieve. But because they're given more opportunity or they're giving more of a leash or more access or they have more natural talent, we're willing to let them get away with more because of what might happen, because of what their potential might be. And so I think that's another another part to this. I know we we probably need to wrap up here in a second, but 
if we're going to sit here and talk about attainability, I think we have to remember some some things that you you mentioned uh, either in the show or when we were getting ready for this is that attainability comes from access and not everybody's attainability is going to look the same and not everybody will reach those at the same same points there are going to be stages to attainability and if we're going to view that you know that guy in the cave trying to reach those diamonds a are there diamonds at the end of that road at some point and have we left them a couple of smaller diamonds along the way to keep them engaged and motivated to continue to continue chopping wood and pounding the stone and doing all those things knowing that eventually they've got it doesn't guarantee that they'll get there right because it, it, like you say the onus is on the player to put the work in but we also can't be feeding them these false narratives of hey just keep doing what you're going to do and you're going to get where you want to go when we have no roadmap and no diamonds for them in the first place Thank you.